Yeah. So I think um, as leaders, it is important that we provide that environment where um, there is a psychological safety and people can raise issues, impediments. Um, if there is a problem that they need to raise with other teams, they need to raise it. So initially, it is important that the leaders are there and then encouraging them to talk about it in broader forum. Then once we give that psychological safety and raising issues is okay and we want the, you know we want to shine the light on the problem, then people are getting comfortable. Again, it's a journey, but we are seeing that kind of change happening and the biggest thing that we are doing as leaders is providing that environment where people can speak up and is rewarded for speaking up. Hello, welcome to the New Stack Makers, a podcast where we talk about at scale application development, deployment, and management. eBay is a global commerce leader that connects millions of buyers and sellers in 190 markets around the world. We exist to enable economic opportunity for individuals, entrepreneurs, businesses, and organizations of all sizes. Hey everyone, welcome to another Pancake Breakfast. Today, we are with a team from eBay talking about how eBay is working for developer speed. And joining us is Randy Schaup, Vice President, Engineering and Chief Architect at eBay. Mark Weinberg, Vice President, Core Product Engineering at eBay. And Lakshmi Durai Vankatesh. Excellent. So it's a pancake breakfast day. So who's got their pancakes today? Or at least something. Coffee? Ah, coffee, right on, and a spatula. Well, does anyone have any syrup? Okay, I'll just like, I'll, I'll go off camera to get my syrup here. I got my syrup. I'm going to have my pancake a little bit later, but let's just get started right away with the discussion here. So we're going to talk about developer velocity, and this is something that uh, eBay, the eBay team has been working on quite a bit. And so you're all leading a tech-led reimagination at eBay. And what do you mean by that? And why are you doing that? Lakshmi, maybe you could start. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having us as part of this show. eBay has always been a technology company ever since its inception 25 years ago. But over the past few years, um, our investments in technology is not as much as we would like it to be. So as a result of this, our engineering velocity is slower than we want. So this year, we have renewed our focus in our technology investments. Given the scale of eBay with about 185 million buyers, 19 million sellers and over 1.7 billion listings, it's important that we are able to move faster. We are able to do things cheaper and better. So engineering velocity is so critical to do that. It's not only critical for enabling our users and businesses and delivering value for them faster, it is also important for developer morale, hiring and attrition. So we are very happy to be here talking about our technology investments and how we are doing, what are some of the things that we are doing to improve the velocity for our developers. So what does velocity then mean at eBay these days? I want to direct this question at Randy. What does velocity mean to you at eBay? How do you know if you're really making progress? What are some of the ways you're doing that? 
Yeah, great. No, thanks for that. And like Lakshmi said, yeah, we're trying to figure out how we can improve our ability to deliver value to our customers, to the to the buyers and sellers. So in terms of developer velocity, we're definitely taking a page out of this book. So Nicole Forsgren's Accelerate book. If you haven't read it, uh, when you're finished with this podcast, go buy it and read it, please, because it's amazing. Um, and it summarizes a whole bunch of years of the state of DevOps surveys and the state of DevOps reports, seven or eight years of um, looking at uh, all sorts of organizations, 31,000 all over, you know, all over the globe, uh, and trying to figure out what makes high-performing organizations work well. And the four metrics that they mention, which we are using, are uh, deployment frequency. So how often are we deploying software to our customers? Uh, lead time for change. So how, often, how long does it take when a developer finishes committing her code to its live on the site providing value? Uh, change failure rate, which is what's the percentage of time that we are, uh, when we uh, make a change, do we have to roll it back or hot fix it or something like that? And then mean time to recover when we have one of those incidents, you know, how long does it take us to get back to uh, a good customer experience? And so we use those the four key metrics essentially to, to measure ourselves. As people who are familiar with the book or familiar with the research maybe know that um, different organizations kind of end up clustering. So uh, the high performers and the elite performers tend to be really good on all the metrics, whereas the low performers tend to be poor on all the metrics. Uh, and for us, we're kind of in the middle. Uh, we're trying to get more, get more uh, high performing and more elite performing. So like we're trying to get the uh, deployment frequency down to be more often. We're trying to get that lead change, fail, uh, lead, um, change time uh, down as well. And then hold constant, you know, our pretty good ability to do uh, uh, make updates to the site without failures and to, and to recover from them. So that's, that's what we're doing. So straight up following the, the DevOps research. Mark or Lakshmi, would you add anything to that? No, I'll just, uh, you know, echo what Randy said, like we're really adopting the Accelerate principles and we believe in the research and we're excited about the, the changes that we're instituting and, you know, the effect that it's going to have on our, on our developers and our, and our customers. How are you doing those metrics then? Are, you know, you say you're about middle of the road. How have you gotten to that point? What have you been looking at? We tried that. We looked end to end at the um, the sort of entire product lifecycle from idea all the way through to providing value. And you can sort of think of it as like there's like idea to project, right? So how do we go from an idea to some to we start working on it? And how do we go from project to code? You can call that software development. How do you go from code to a you know useful feature? You can call that software delivery. And then there's a downstream like iteration with experimentation and, you know, getting, gaining customer feedback. And the honest answer, like lots of big companies, like we have areas to improve along every one of those, you know, kind of four phases. Uh, but what we decided to do was fo laser focus on that software delivery point. And the thinking behind that is because if we're not able to, we need to be able to deliver software like quickly, repeatably and reliably to do any of the upstream, you know, architectural improvements we'd like to make, uh, security uh, patches, like all the things that we that we want to do ultimately end up, uh, you know, requiring that we deliver software. Uh, and then that's also, you know, um, uh, needed for being able to do better on the downstream, you know, experimentation and, and feedback loops and so on. Uh, and so the key insight that we that we uh, did by working with a bunch of individual teams and understanding what was blocking them was like focus uh, laser focus on that software delivery part. Our general approach to was 
sort of looking at small small wins and long term capabilities. So, you know, if we could if we could save an engineer ten minutes on a task, multiplied by that engineer doing that task multiple times a day, multiplied by every day of the year, multiplied by every every engineer in the entire org, that turns into actually quite a big win. Um, but then there's also some longer term capabilities that we know that we need to deliver on things like re-architecting some of our code. Um, those are those are bigger changes, bigger impact with bigger risk, but we know we need to do that. And and sort of the, the other thing that we did is we decided that, you know, we couldn't we couldn't just work on everything all at once. So we're going to identify a, a set of pilot domains, we called them, which are areas of the product. And then. And those those pilot domains are really the, the, the places where we thought these are the biggest opportunities for impact from this work and, and ROI. And it's also sort of we pick the teams that were most aligned with uh, the mentality of doing this, the hunger for speed, the teams that had great leadership support. But then we just kept narrowing our focus even further. We said, OK, within those domains, let's pick a set of pilot apps that maybe are the most active apps, the most affected by lower velocity, maybe the, the, the apps that had the most dependencies on them or were most dependent on other apps. And then, you know, for each one of those, then we asked the team and said, okay, well, what are, what are the list of impediments you have to going faster? Is it manual processes? Is it, you know, the tools, the environments, the knowledge and skills of the team? And that led to, us identifying a bunch of platform tracks to, to go after things like builds, build times, our server startup, our test automation, our CI/CD pipelines. And, and then the teams work collaboratively to kind of identify a problem area, root cause it, come up with a fix and apply it to that pilot app. And then once it's working, then we can take that, that solution and apply it to the other pilot apps and domains. Then ultimately down the road, we'll broaden it to apply it to you know, all the places in the company. Mark, I'm going to go back to you again and, and ask you about that approach and how you really, how do you decide what to work on, you know, and what order, you know, you looks like you have an idea on the teams and how and who you're approaching, but what is the order of that work? Well, it's, it's sort of what Randy was saying, you know, we, we are you know, mostly focused on development and delivery and we, we have, um, areas of opportunity and out, outside of that, but that's really what we chose. Is we said, hey, for for each of these pilot apps, let's really focus on our developer productivity, make their 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 tools better. So, as an example, um, in just the process of sort of root causing some things, we found a place where one of our top test automation frameworks that uses a JVM was spawning a separate process for each test for each JVM, and just a simple change to a config file took to our, our PR validation time down from like well over an hour down to around 15 minutes. So, you know, we're looking for those kind of small wins, which ladder up into big wins for us when they're, they're cascaded out through the rest of the organization. And then, like I said, you know, like, you know, we, we know that we have places where we have to work on our architecture um, just refactoring some of the code, improving things like our, our, our tech, Test automation for sure is a big area. Um, so we've been sort of systematic of, you know, on a sort of a team by team basis, looking at what is that team's biggest impediment, impediment to going faster and just really attacking that. What are some of the things that you found? I know, you know, I would say sort of a, the general theme is automation. I think, you know, really 
attacking every place that we find that that we have a manual process, any place that there's any kind of human intervention, really sort of digging into those areas and and figuring out what do we need to do to to automate. And then within that, I think uh, test our test um, as we improve our our ability to test the software faster, better, it's going to instill more confidence into the team and, you know, how aggressive we can be about rolling changes out. And so, you know, really digging into those areas and, and just more specifically, we found a lot of places where we have inverted test matrices where we don't have enough unit tests. There's a lot of reasons for that. We have some legacy code, some monolithic code. As we re-architect that code, we can shift from, you know, more expensive integration and manual end-to-end testing to, you know, higher quality, faster running um, automated unit tests. So that's a big area of, of attention for us. Those automated unit tests have become, but have become increasingly popular, haven't they? Is that a is that an adjustment for people to start getting used to those things, or are they or are they just are they hungry for it? Randy, do you see anything there? Uh, absolutely, and you know what? The best example is the rearchitecture effort that Lakshmi's team is is working on. So, if uh, I'd kind of love to like pivot. Uh, uh, to that because that's actually because like one of the main things that uh, is enabling uh, Lakshmi and team to do to move forward is exactly like modularization and test automation. But I won't. I don't want to take it away. Yeah, great, Lakshmi. I'd love love to hear your perspective. It's great. So um, as Mark and Randy said, right, this is a huge initiative in terms of bringing velocity. So you're focusing a lot of the low hanging fruits where. You're taking the existing code bases and see what we can do in terms of tooling, automation, processes, and how do we increase the developer velocity while we are working on the long term, which is re-architecting some of our core areas. So starting with the critical one, which is view item, this is where our customers come and make their purchase decision. So over the years, even though these are all service-based, some of these services have become bigger and larger and monolithic. So we are working on... Um, componentizing it, modularizing it, and making it microservices-based architecture. And of course, it takes some time to get benefits out of this. So this is one of our huge investment that we are doing with respect to critical areas. The second one is on our native um, platform. So our native foundational architecture, again, we keep re-architecting this to the latest patterns and frameworks. So we are doing a huge investment in our native foundational architecture and also the experiences that sits on top of it, we are also re-architecting those codes as well. Um, and then our one of our strategic initiative is focusing on verticals. So there as well, whatever we are building new, those vertical platforms and capabilities, we are building it in a way where we can very easily and quickly expand to other vertical categories um, and also the, to other, other markets. So the huge focus on multidimensional long-term focus. Can you talk about that, that, that architecture, that native architecture and make a little bit about it and how it's transforming? So um, as, as, as I talked about the view item where it over years it has become monolithic, um, our native foundational code base has been there for like a decade. So some of the foundational pieces have been like, you know, we started developing over and over and on top of it. So it has become very slow for us to make a change in those things and roll out faster. So given that our market share is moving more to native, um, we wanted to move faster on that. So 
we, we just cannot rewrite the experiences without fixing the foundation. So th that's why we are focusing on those and rewriting those more into componentized, modularized way where teams can work independently instead of basically removing those dependencies between teams as well. Is that more than, I guess that means a container-based architecture? Um, so sorry, I wanna, we, we use native to talk about mobile applications. Yeah. So just to be yeah. super clear, what she, when, when uh, Lakshmi is saying native, that's the iOS app, the, the Android app. Android app, yeah. Okay. Okay. So then the, the underlying architecture at eBay, this is a separate matter then. We're, we're, okay. Um, then what, what are some of the improvements that you've seen then, Lakshmi? What are some of the, you know, the changes and improvements that have been apparent? Um, in terms of the, uh, the re-architecture, we, um, honestly, we are still starting. So we'll start seeing some of those benefits around mid, mid of this year, like around summer. But then in terms of the, um, the low-hanging fruits, we are already seeing lots of improvements. The one thing is, right, it's not about how many improvements we are pushing. It is about pushing those small improvements where the developers feel, in, feel inspired. They know that, you know what, I can do things better. It, we can move faster. So it's inspiring engineers to do things better. So it's about shifting that cultural piece of it, the mindset, the comfort of people, okay, I can do this as well. You know, and, and that's a big part of it, you know, so I'm, I guess the question I have for you, Mark, is what are you doing to improve EBA's ability to deploy software? What about that testing, that mirroring the canary environments that you're setting up? Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, just a, a real focus on just test in general, because, you know, the, the rate at which we deploy goes up proportional to how confident we feel in the quality of the software. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, we're doing lots of things, again, you know, getting better test infrastructure in place. We're using techniques like doing contract testing, which allows us to sort of break, break some of the tight team dependencies we've had in the past, which, which enables us to block a bunch of wait states and just better independence. Putting a lot of scrutiny on manual release processes that we have what we, with these dependencies, a lot of times a team will need to check whether code that they want to deploy um, is working well with other teams' code. And so, you know, getting a process in place where all of those tests are automated so partner teams can run them independently. And if there's no failures, they can just deploy without, you know, a team having to sign off. So a good focus on that. We're, we've got a staging environment that we use that we put a lot of effort in trying to make that as close to production as possible with better data that's clean data from PII perspective, with better code where teams have a last known good component in staging, uh, treating it more like a production environment with SLA. So if there's a problem, a team jumps on it. And then, like you mentioned, you know, using techniques like traffic mirroring where we can simultaneously route traffic both to our live service and an N plus one service, and then canary testing, which allow us to take a new service and route live traffic to it um, with small amounts of traffic and then monitor it. And then if everything looks good to progressively roll that out to more and more traffic. So, um, you know, a lot of t techniques like that, but then also there's some cultural things of just sort of just committing to faster deployment saying, hey, you know, we're, we're going to deploy daily. What do we need to do that? Or we're going to do weekly deployments on our mobile stack. What do we need to do that? And just 
you know, the teams are amazing. They find ways to solve problems once you set a goal like that. And so uh, we're already seeing changes in just how quickly we can deploy uh, both the services and the mobile apps. So how would you compare the confidence today to six months ago, a year ago? Oh, oh, I think there's a lot of confidence in what we're doing, a lot of belief in in the research that Randy mentioned earlier. Um, we're again, we're you know a little bit of progress goes a long way. You know, you, you have these. You know, I was talking to somebody about this, and when Randy and I started this initiative, it all seemed like theory. And the comment was in our just sort of latest progress um, that wow, theory to reality. So the, the, the theory has become real. And I think the more people see that it builds on itself and it's sort of taken on a life of its own. Now we, we get reports all the time of teams sort of doing some things and reporting like the impact that it's had. And I, I mean, it's not unexpected, but it sure is nice when that happens. Yeah, I guess I would add that it's like, think big, start small, learn fast, <laughs> you know? Uh, so we actually, you know, we thought big, we looked at the big picture, trying to see the whole board of, of all of all the issues, you know, across everything, start small. So like, focus very, you know, laser focus on that software delivery and a little bit the software development parts of it, as Mark mentioned, but then also don't try to do our 4500 apps and services and 3000 developers all at once, like, choose specific uh, pilot teams, as Mark mentioned, specific apps within those teams. And then uh, that set of like, and giving them horizontal help. So like help, as Mark mentioned, around build time, around startup time, around PR validation time, around automated testing in the pipelines, around, again, that mirroring capability, around canaries, around automated deployment. So like all of these things are, are horizontal capabilities that we're using in conjunction with these particular, you know, domain level uh, teams that we're working with. And we are able to work in super tight feedback loops with them because we do it that way. It is just not about fixing the, the current things, um, but also a lot of the new developments, given that these four metrics are super clear, um, all the new developments, people are very excited about like building it the right way from the get go. So Mark and Randy, has, they haven't seen it yet, but that's what at least happening with all the new developments. So. I would love to turn it back to you, Lakshmi, about how culture plays a role here. Uh, what are you doing uh, about, you know, enhancing the culture? You know, how do you think about shared goals and collaboration and breaking down of silos? Right. So I think in order for any of these investments or key changes like this to work, it's critical that. Um, all the teams across eBay needs to work towards a common goal and a shared goal, right? And we are clearly seeing a cultural change that's happening where people are thinking about end-to-end -end and they are like consciously breaking down silos. It's not easy, but people are like talking about it. And also we are seeing that everyone is thinking about, okay, what is the outcome that I want to achieve for this particular initiative? And how can we work together towards that particular initiative? So there's a lot of change that's happening and we are clearly seeing it. And Thank so then, then, then to follow up on that, you know, people need to be, feel again, but they have to have that confidence, right? So they need to be, feel like they're safe. They need to feel like they, can raise questions that they can uh, be confident about their, you know, dependencies. What are these factors that also play into it? Yeah. So I think 
um, as leaders, it is important that we provide that environment where um, there is a psychological safety and people can raise issues, impediments. Um, if there is a problem that they need to raise with other teams, they need to raise it. So initially, it is important that the leaders are there and then encouraging them to talk about it in broader forum. And then once we give that psychological safety and raising issues is okay and we want the you know we want to shine the light on the problem that people are getting comfortable again it's a journey but we are seeing that kind of change happening and the biggest thing that we are doing as leaders is providing that environment where people can speak up and is rewarded for speaking up yeah and if i could just add to that like the two things just to echo the two things that lakshmi said which is shared goals right so it's not like Lakshmi has some goals and Mark and Randy have some goals. Like we didn't talk about, talk about where we work in the organizations, but we work in different parts of the organization. Let's just start with that. Uh, but we all have the same goal, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, making in particular, you know, Lakshmi's team a lot faster and, you know, other teams that we're working with as well. So like shared goals from the horizontal organizations, from the, from the domains, start with that. Um, and then tight feedback loops, right? So, a bunch of people on my teams in the horizontal organization have embedded like directly with uh, with Lakshmi's team to help with the rearchitecture, to help with the improvements on the on the mobile apps, uh, and like making that investment again to tighten to tighten that feedback loop uh, makes things move faster. And then to Lakshmi's other point, it's making making it safe for people to say. So when we go, we want you to go. You know, we want you to do daily deployments or, you know, 20 times a day or something like that. And then people get all nervous. We're like, okay, why doesn't that work? Tell us. And like, I want to hear it. You know, we want to hear it all. So like, oh, well, we can't do it because this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason. We're like, great. <laughs> let's let's knock them down all, all together. And right. And a bunch of those things, you know, can't be solved maybe just by one team acting by itself, but, you know, solved by working together. And like, that's the that's the flywheel, the cultural flywheel that, that gets this stuff going. One of the questions that, that that I always have is about the teams, and you know the individuals are important, the culture is important, but how have, how have the technologies affected the teams, and how the teams been you know affected the technology? You can kind of look at it both ways, where you know you have all these technologies now, you can learn how to use them to automate, but often you know you need the, the team has to have that right experience. Like to be able to use the, the tools and not all the tools might, you know, be um, something that, you know, someone just starting out may be familiar with. So I'm curious about that, you know, that back and forth and how do you think about that team development? Yeah, we, we, we really internalize this. We really want to instill a culture of continuous learning and improvement for the team. And so we talk a lot about that and make sure that people understand and feel like it's okay that, you don't have to know everything like and and we're here to help you learn and get better so we started doing a series of technical talks for our engineers um and just on a wide range of topics things like you know test driven development dependency injection small batch sizes and the importance of using them and separation of concern and they're like they're it it's really been fun to watch people really uh get get a lot of value out of that and learn and people are excited they ask like really good question and then things like like randy mentioned embedding our, our some of our senior 
technical leaders within the teams doing things like pair programming, where you get sort of that one-on-one -on -one attention and people really can you know, learn, learn these topics in a meaningful way. And then we do things like we have an internal conference that we, that we present every, or we have hold every year. And it's kind of like an opportunity for engineers to present in an external conference-like atmosphere um, on a wide range of topics, they choose the topics. And so engineers can go and learn from their peers on, on a variety of different things that, that are outside of maybe what they're looking for. Um, and th so that's on the engineering side, but th there's like a, a real hunger for understanding these principles and problems across our executives, our business people, our design team, marketing people. And so, you know, Randy, uh, Randy and I are, are constantly doing updates uh, for the company uh, at all sorts of different um, meetings. Uh, we have monthly operating review that we, we talk at. We do speaker series for the entire team and then various group all hands uh, meetings on these topics so that people can learn. And there's just a real appetite for understanding some of these things and why they're important. Uh, that's so important. We were talking to uh, Adidas the other day. And uh, they have a mentorship program uh, there. And they talk a lot about these things, these, these same things about, you got to think about the technical aspects of the cultural aspects and the strategic aspects and the strategic aspects then carry into the, the business side of the, you know, of the organization. So I, I'm wondering about this issue though, then about how you help people feel psychologically safe, you know, Blameless postmortems, for example, Randy. How do you think about that? Yeah, so I mean, so uh, uh, one aspect of psychological safety is like we were talking about raising impediments. Like, hey, you're asking me to, you know, to go faster. I'm I'm uncomfortable. Uh, but like, say, making it okay to say, uh, you know, even to people with fancy titles, uh, you know, here's here's why, um, here's what I need. But yeah, the other thing is when stuff goes wrong. Uh, and things go wrong because it's a complicated system and software is hard. Uh, at the end, you know, once once we're out of the woods and we've restored service to customers, like we want to have a blameless postmortem. And, you know, that's not something, you know, we started. That's that's something that, you know, has been done for the industry uh, for, for years and years and comes out of, you know, safety culture in a bunch of other safety critical industries like uh, or uh, like medical or fire safety or uh, transportation safety. Mm. There's just everybody has like, co-discovered <laughs> this idea even with different wording that rather than blaming people and you know trying to figure out what you know whatever who to make feel bad or what throat to choke instead of figuring out hey let's get everybody together that was involved or affected and like what could we do better next time you know i wish we didn't have that thing but uh but what can we do better next time altogether and that again in all these in all these industries and again by the research uh that's what that's what unlocks the culture of everybody now thinking forward and thinking about what can we do to improve things altogether. And, you know, all these, all these aspects of psychological safety are, are important. And then the other aspect of course, of psychological safety is, uh, you know, respect for diversity, respect for diverse opinions. Um, that's a critical, that's a critical thing in every, in every organization. There's a bunch of recent research that shows that um, diverse teams make like order of magnitude, better decision-making. It's like 80%. If you have, 
you know, diversity among a bunch along a bunch of different dimensions, including gender and geography and age, um, you actually make something like 81% better decisions. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's the other, that's the other aspect people of psychological safety. It's like being able to bring your whole self to work and, uh, and, um, that benefits everybody, including frankly, the business. So, uh, we believe in that too. So Lakshmi, how is this a, you know, I just would love to end it on you unless we do get a question. I think we have a pretty shy group here, but I'd love to just end it on uh, with you and ask about how this has affected your view on strategy. How has this affected your view on the evolution of, of architecture at, at eBay? I think this, this change um, when this investment on technology was introduced and Martin Randy took this initiative around velocity, um, initially, it took a little bit for us to kind of believe that it is true because in the past, like any other company, we start something, we stop it, and then we start it and stop it because we want to focus on features to deliver for the customers. But then after like a couple of months, we see that, okay, it is here to stay. So there was a lot of, um, you know, excitement um, from engineers that I heard that, oh, this is amazing. Finally, we are focusing on this. And we also saw a lot of innovation coming from engineers about, hey, here are the problems. Here is how we are solving. Here is how we want to do like front-end automation. So there's a lot of ways people just proactively came and talked about these are the things that we want to do. And they also come and present to Mark and Randy a lot of things. Say, here are some of the new ideas. And it's back and forth. We get feedback from Randy and Mark. So there's a huge shift in uh, and the belief that we can do software in a better way. And it is... It's basically inspiring engineers, you know, right? When they, in the engineers are inspired, they will like they will just give everything that they got. So the key is like that here it is here to stay, and it is not like just a thing for two months. And so people are like doing a lot of things that will that we will start seeing probably from summer to the end of the year. So it's, it's amazing that we are focusing on this. Well, I want to thank all of you for your time today. This has really been enlightening to hear about how eBay is thinking about. Uh, getting that velocity and improving that velocity. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Lakshmi, Mark, Randy, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Listen to more episodes of the new stack makers at the newstackio slash podcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes, like us on YouTube and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening and see you next time eBay is a global commerce leader that connects millions of buyers and sellers in 190 markets around the world. We exist to enable economic opportunity for individuals, entrepreneurs, businesses, and organizations of all sizes. 